it makes me cringe just to think about all the plastic that is in our oceans, slowly breaking down into microplastics that are now bioaccumulating throughout aquatic ecosystems. And those that aren't breaking down are just out there floating in massive gyres of trash. And a lot of that trash and plastic has ended up in places like Indonesia. And when my guest, Tom Jackson, visited Indonesia and saw the massive problem that was happening, he knew he had to do something about it. Through his company, Honest Ocean, Tom and his team have created a way to provide work for local Indonesian people who desperately need it. Collecting trash, collecting plastic from the ocean, and providing companies around the world a way to use plastic in a more sustainable way. Becoming part of making our world a greener place with less plastic floating in our oceans. So make sure you listen to this entire interview because there's so much to unpack here. And you definitely won't want to miss one of the best things about Honest Ocean that is coming out with Product Passport. So stick around to learn exactly what Product Passport is and why it is going to revolutionize the plastic industry. You're here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Tom, do you mind telling us a little bit about Honest Ocean and what you guys do? Sure, Billy. And thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, so Honest Ocean, what we really do is we prevent plastic from reaching the ocean we call it ocean plastic recycling that's what we do but yeah as an overview we work with coastal communities across southeast asia mainly indonesia at the moment and micromanage how it got there how we can change it and in the short term work with locals to collect that material recycle it in our factory close by and partner with big brands and companies to get that back into the recycling market and into new products on the shelf. That's great. And so you're helping these communities go and collect this plastic trash and then the companies are purchasing the recycled plastic from your factories? Absolutely. Yeah. And our sort of key role is to make sure not only is it plastic and the material, but it's the social side of it. It has a very high unemployment rate here in Indonesia. We make sure that communities is collecting it. And like you said, we then recycle it, which to a very high material standard. So it goes from the coastal community to the recycler, which is then shredded and washed and just generally cleaned. And then onto being made into very small little pellets, which allows for it to be easier to recycle and then create that product. So it's for a logistical reason. And then we work with those brands to make sure they can use it for their products that there's no other options for other than to use plastic at the moment. Definitely. And so you're pretty much just doing a mechanical recycling process. Have you guys looked into a chemical recycling process or just doing mechanical right now? Absolutely. So here the infrastructure in Indonesia is not very good. So we are very much doing mechanical recycling, but really the chemical recycling and the technology is changing quickly, which we're really trying to use to our advantage. Because if you think about every plastic that can be 
mechanically recycled, you have the plastic or the paper labels that come with that bottle, which can't be recycled. And here in mm. Indonesia, you can see them being burnt in the road and they have no value to them at all. So implementing chemical recycling is a really big part of what needs to happen, whether that's into oil or into gas, into fuel, which can then be used for fishermen to use to, to collect fish or how we do it to collect plastic from the water. Yeah, it's actually a really important part of it. And not many people are aware that mechanical recycling, it's recycling plastic, but there's actually waste that comes from the recycling. So you think, oh, that's a great solution, but it's a short-term fix for an overwhelming amount of plastic in the environment and just on the planet. So uh, it's very exciting to see the changes of chemical recycling. And the end of 2023, we really hope to implement that and to pre prevent oh, cool. burning. Nice. That's great. And mechanical recycling also has the issue that the plastic can only be recycled so many times. So like it starts to degrade it in its ability to actually be recycled after so long. Absolutely. And with the mechanical recycling, the experts in the industry say it can be a maximum of seven times, but we're really early in the recycling and circular economy market that no one actually knows and there's really not much data based around how many bits of plastic have ever been recycled. They get weaker every time. And if you're collecting, let's say, from a beach or a coastal fishing village, there could be plastic that might have been recycled three or four times, maybe five. And then you might have plastic in its first recycling journey. And if that's going in a bag together before it then goes to the recycling plant, it's a really hard thing to be able to work out. And if you've got weak plastic with strong plastic, yeah, again, it's not great to not be able to understand that, basically. And that's really why traceability and product passport is a really big thing for us so that we can track and locate and see what happens to that material. Yeah, I definitely want to ask more about product passport later, but with the recycling of combining different strengths or plastics that are more durable or of the different consistency, how do you deal with that inside of mechanical recycling? Because that causes issues too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you have the raw material plastic, which is called the feedstock and the feedstock if it's going in for different feedstock, you have different MFI, which is a melt flow index, which basically means you give the stats of the recycled material to be able to create consistency through that. And if you've got new plastic versus old, that, that can create issues with the document and the, uh, the report for making it to a new product, which then can't be used or create a product if it has the influx in the specifications and it's something no one talks about it's a really big issue in terms of collectors for us and then if you put on top of that salt water and contamination and sunlight being exposed to those elements it's a very tricky process we're in the early stages of being able to sort that out and that is going to require separation of plastic for not only the type of plastic let's say for instance your single-use water bottle your pet versus the cap that it comes with which is a higher density plastic which is hdpe 
separation of that and then where did that come from is there any mapping around how long it could have been there for and the short answer is billy there's no solution for that at the moment in terms of telling the difference from that but that's very much something we're underway with and hopefully over the next few years we'll be able to map and track and see the trends of where that material comes from so we can allow for non-mixing of the same type of plastic from one location yeah that's definitely really difficult when you come to think of all the different ramifications of that and so how are you handling it right now are you just like manually sorting or just using your best judgment how do you maintain your your consistency of your product those pellets to sell to the companies with all of this variability in the plastic up front yeah but a great question and it's a really it's a really important one so first of all when it comes from the coastal community we do ask and motivate them around a price point if they sort it and they separate it before they drop it off to be weighed where they'll hand it over to the waste bank and they will get money in return for that we will incentivize around a higher price for more sorted because what that really does is if you can control it at the source it means every other step of the supply chain is a much easier process so from there it'll be collected it will go to the next step in the supply chain which will be the aggregator or in our case straight to the recycling factory and it will be sorted again there so it's a two-phase sorting process that's not always the case in europe and america they have modern technology to do auto sorting but nothing really beats the eye and uh, it creates more jobs here in indonesia to do that and very important part of that so that two-phase sorting and then onto the shredding and the washing so through those two steps if the resorting's done you're getting higher value plastic which can be created for a much wider range of products versus if it's still dirty we get these little black specks in the plastic which then when you try and create manufacture a product from that let's say for instance injection mold it will have these black spots, which the companies will reject and all our hard work will be undone. And this isn't just us. This is a problem within the recycling industry. So yeah, to answer in short, it's very hard to get that right. And if the customer has then received it in their location and they can't use it, that's either returned to us or we need to find a solution for that. So we have the low value plastics, which are the dirty plastics, or there's a very low value for in the market, which we will try and use for long lasting products, whether it's furniture, either bricks mixed with concrete, for instance, like your shopping bags, which potentially will have issues or food contamination in. And then the high plastics, which your food grade, single use water bottles or things like that, which we try and supply to bigger brands to make the social and the recycling push. You really need to cover all aspects of that. None of the plastic you're collecting is going to landfill. And we don't believe in taking it from the ocean or the coast to just move it to landfill. We really don't see that as a solution. If we have the options for chemical recycling, mechanical, and then products, with those three things, you should be able to cover the majority of the waste in the circle loop of the economy. And that's really our goal. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And how much material are you guys receiving on a daily basis? So currently it's smaller volumes. So we're at about 75 
to 150 tons per month per 30 days and mm -hmm. that's really because we're still establishing business partnerships and really looking for the brands and companies that want to create social change and show the value of what they changed in places that really need a hand like Indonesia, we're roughly about a maximum 150 tons currently. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a lot at scale with such a global problem, but being able to bring on waste banks and local communities, uh, it's not a difficult phase for us to be able to go and speak to these um, chiefs in the villages and ask them, would you like to employ, would you collect this plastic and sort it and supply it to us? And really in the next 12 months, we really hope to bring 125 to 300 waste banks online. So then by that period, we're looking at about a thousand tons a month, which is, uh, yeah, much better than 150 with such a big global <laughs> yes. problem. Yeah, definitely. And what has the social change been like? What kind of social change have you been able to provide for the Indonesian people with the workers that you employ and those kind of things? Because that's a part of your work as well. Yeah, and it's a really important part of it. It's not just plastic. It's the people that are involved in it. And being able to, first of all, create consistent work is the first one. There's an Indonesia's 4.1% unemployment. It's very high. First of all, having that consistency in jobs and being able to get those salaries to those guys for the hard work that they do. For instance, nonprofits and other companies either do the rice or the cooking oil as a re return or reward for bringing the plastic. But Billy, they're just like you and I, they want a salary at the end of the day. And they want to, and that's completely up to them how they spend, spend that. And that's a very important thing of us being able to make cash in hand or via a bank transfer, very important. Secondly, health, healthy working environment. That's really important. Providing the right PPE, the right working uniforms, gloves, bags, things like that, and the tools to make their life easier as a starting point. And a really big part of what we're trying to do is the next generation. If we don't have the machines to be able to collect remotely, which again, we very much want to work with the individuals. What are their children? What are the future for these guys? Can they, can their parents afford to send them to school and then on to university? And being able to see their parents and the collection and the cleanup, it really creates the education around that we see at the moment with the older generations not respecting the waste so much and with the younger generations being able to see that firsthand wanting to work in that space and allowing us to work with the future of that is a massively important part of that and when we talk about the product passport later we can show what positively affected that community, whether it's the schools being built, there's a high percentage of Muslims here in Indonesia, so praying is a big part of having a safe space to do that, and empowering women through this work as well. Primarily, there are a lot of men in this space. I would say those are the three return positive impacts, but we really hope to be able to create that more. How can we create millions of jobs across the regions? where these guys are creating their own businesses. We work with them on the collection. We don't come in and have an honest ocean collection scheme and bring our people in. It's really about these guys being able to have consistency of work and being able to plan ahead. And for Westerners, it's a really easy job that every day can, can be done and planned for the next year. These guys locally here in Indonesia are living week to week, if you're lucky, month to month. 
Yeah, it is an important part. And yeah, great question. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And I love to ask you, what was your driving force that led you to say, hey, I've got to do this. I've got to create Honest Ocean. We got to fight this plastic problem and we got to do it in Indonesia. Why Honest Ocean and why Indonesia? What made those things important for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I've always worked on the water. I was a sailing instructor. I then went on to crew on large private boats. And through that, I got to do a number of Atlantic and Pacific crossings, two, three weeks between Europe and America, as well as remote islands in Tonga, Fiji, New Zealand. And when going from New Zealand to Fiji, it was about a thousand miles from each. We saw a plastic berg, which is congealed amount of plastic, which we might, which everyone might have seen on the news, which is held together and brought together by the currents in that part of the ocean. And that was the sort of the first sign of wow, this is, this is a horrible situation, which you couldn't have made up in your own head. And this was also five, six, six years ago, where not a lot of people were talking about it as much as we is now aware of. So that was number one. Number two, after that, I then went into another role after leaving boats into a e-commerce startup, which was supplements. And the packaging that we used, there was actually no sustainable option. And when we spoke to the, our supplier and packaging was very much something I was doing, there was nothing that we could use. And you feel powerless as a brand trying to create value to consumers, you're stuck at almost the first hurdle. So I then spoke to our supplier and said, look, guys, I'm going to go and try and find either better material, if not plastic that is, can be used again and create value for consumers like the brand that we were trying to build at that time. And they were very much interested. I then left my job a week later. I very quickly spoke to some friends who'd worked in Southeast Asia. I'd never been to Indonesia. I found out quite quickly it was the second worst affected region after China for plastic pollution. And China was very much underway with the recycling and trying to solve that. So that's what led me here. And moving to Bali in Indonesia was, it didn't have to take me long to, to think that that wouldn't be such a bad idea. So yeah, yeah, two years ago, two years ago, I flew here and I got off the plane and I spent the next four months in some pretty uncomfortable areas affected by plastic, trying to find recyclers. And I spoke to everyone here in Java, which is the main strip of Indonesia. And then after that, I found a great partner who really looked under the staff, had had great technology as far as Indonesia goes for recycling, and were open to recycling our plastic that we collect. And there, from there, we're now grown to a team of six and we're small, but we're mighty and we're all brought together by the same social growth and impact mission. that we can see every day here. Yeah. Mission. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. No, that's awesome. That's really great. And do you guys have a formal mission you want to mention? The mission? Yeah, absolutely. And it's to empower communities by bringing them around one sole purpose, which is to stop plastic reaching the ocean. Yeah. I love that. So is that where the name Honest Ocean comes from, or does it have a different source where you came up with? Yeah, for me, it does. I think the team as general have a little story of why that resonates with their heart so much. But for me, it was seeing the growth of businesses or people trying to get on this sort of market trend, which creates a more expensive product, which we've all heard the word greenwashing. 
And mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to create a company and a brand that was just honest and raw and did exactly what it said on the tin. And unfortunately, greenwashing in ocean prevention and ocean waste is a massive topic, which, yeah, there's a number of companies that do get away with that. So that's really why we try and create the traceability, create everything around Honest Ocean that can create a safe hub that impacts plastic and people and prove it. If a company can't prove it's really worth asking where it actually came from. And that's why it's so exciting to have the tech and the blockchain running through the core of our sort of values as a brand. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think this is a perfect time to talk about your product passport. Can you talk more about how that creates that traceability and all of that? Absolutely. And it's a thing we've been working on with a company called Empower, which is third party traceability platform. And then being a startup as well, we've really been able to work together and see the growth through them and us and be able to customize around the issues that we face here and what we need to solve it. Annika, who is our CEO and the head of the operations, she, this is really her baby that she's created and a fantastic job she's done. And very much what happens is a customer or a brand will come to us and say, hey guys, love, love what you're doing. We want to be involved. How does it work? And what we'll do is that order will then create a product passport. And that is an identity for that order of whether it's a big or small volume. It will then start tracing every single bit of the supply chain and every partner, group, collector, that's it with it. So the product passport's issued and it will be from source. So the collection of the plastic, where it came from, it will come with photos, a QR code, and that QR code is then bagged per truck or per bag, depending on the location. And from there, it's then the separation and the sorting. It's then scanned again there in terms of QR, which is all then comes to our database and onto the processing of the time and the schedule. And again, pictures of when that's done. And then the loading of either the container or if it's domestically taken to location of where that goes to and the manufacturing of that product. So there's an online system which with our customers and their customers, usually end user, can see how that got there. And really the breakdown of how its life has gone back into the market and Billy, what we're working on at the moment is being able to work with large companies to have a QR code on their product or their bottle, which anyone, any consumer, you and I can go into a supermarket or a shop and scan that before we've even bought it and see that impact that, yes, okay, it might be the other side of the world, but by buying four of these bottles, which in the local currency here might be able to buy rice or food or fish for one family for a month which when you think about social purchasing that is for us buying that from a shop a dollar or two dollars something like that it's not a big commitment but the output of being able to see the impact from what you just put in your trolley or taken to the checkout is a world-changing thing at scale for consumers to go that's really an amazing part of purchasing and it should be that fun interaction and accountability for us to show to consumers but consumers to feel good and to know that their voting rights through what you buy is such an important part of how this think and if you picked up product from the shelf and you put it back down and you purchase something else okay you might have just been the only one 
in the shop to do that, but then 10 other shops of people doing the same thing, it then echoes all the way through. And these big companies who are creating these products, they will adapt. They're there for the consumer. So if a product's not doing well, and for instance, if a social product, which is a slightly more expensive one, but with a social output, which is huge, they will adapt to that and they will prioritize that. And before you know it, that one person in a shop which 10 others might have been thinking the same, 100, 1,000 in that country or region, that massive ripple effect down the line, which we can do through traceability. And, you know, it, as a consumer, you do feel powerless sometimes when you're looking at the shelf and you see a plastic bottle inside a plastic wrap, which maybe is going to go in a plastic bag when you get to the checkout. So, yeah, it's really hard to think, oh, this will change stuff. But if people are willing to pay a little bit more to see what happened with that, you are very quickly changing how brands and how suppliers buying from us and other ocean recovery and prevention companies, you've just echoed a whole circle economy with a social and a plastic impact, which we think is a no brainer to live by. Yeah, definitely. Especially because as a consumer, it's more than just like you making the decision and 10 other people making that decision too. It's like when you do make that decision and then you go to your workplace and your coworker asks like, oh, what do you have there? That's an interesting bottle. And then you tell them like, oh, look, and I even know where it came from. Like I see this traceability. I just have to scan it with my phone. And then they're like, oh, that's really cool. And then they go out and buy that the next time. And you have a lot more of an impact than you even really know just by being able to make those choices. And when you do, you're making those decisions and making that ripple effect with your wallet. Your wallet's causing those companies. They're going to listen because if they're not selling their product, like <laughs> that's a problem. They want to sell their product. They want to get it out there as much as possible. So if that's not happening, they're going to change. So we really do right. have a lot of power. And I think that's really great that you're making the, this ability to have that traceability so that you can know, oh, wow, I'm having this social impact when I'm choosing this product. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, and you're exactly right, Billy. It's a way to show the positive impact we can all do. It's really exciting to be in this space and introduce the technology. We're a young company. We do have software guys in the team who are very aware about and we need to track this and show that and it's really important to be able to be accountable for things because if we look back over the years if we really think about accountability and carbon output and plastic output there's really nothing to show what big companies were doing to help or to stop just making profits versus manufacturing the cheapest material being on this planet as we are in september 2022 it's great to see the evolution of change around material consumer buying habits and trying to create a sustainable planet instead of negative affecting the last 75 years of plastic yeah definitely and do you see this trend to be more sustainable and this awareness around plastic do you see it continuing and also what do you think needs to happen in order for us to make a shift to a point where we're not just creating an overabundance of plastic and all of it going into the oceans like well, where do you think is going to be that shift between when we're 
dumping more plastic into the ocean than we could ever than we could possibly take out currently like with the work that you're doing through like this recycling these ever think we're trying to reach a tipping point where we're actually able to take out more from the ocean and actually clean up our oceans or is that it's going to be so long away what do you think and that's very interesting way to look at the dynamic of it because if we are using a social plastic does that mean People are going to make more of it, so then we can recycle it more, which, you know, is, is that a good way of doing it? Or do we need to look at more sustainable materials as well as running alongside that? Yeah, it's really important to see how we can change it in terms of for the market movements. And to answer yes, I, I am hopeful that companies will adapt to this, not just because they want to be early adapters. We've seen that Adidas and the Parlay were doing the sneakers which is great, but it's a, a social and a moral change. We're coming into an era with millennials and Jay-Z coming into to the workforce eventually, and they don't want to work for those corporates that don't care about them or the market they're in and just chasing profits. And that's creating a workforce that doesn't want to do the long jobs if they're not happy to do that. And we already see us leading into more sustainable living backed by technology through a market which really should create circular economy and yes recycle these products but with brands who care about their employees want to do the social push and there's always vulnerabilities with the economical crisis and if we are going into recessions everyone tighten their business model a little bit and we've already seen that companies pushing towards creation of new plastic because it's cheaper than recycled but yes billy long term I think, and I'm really hopeful that the circle economy is more important than creating new plastic. And 9% of plastic is recycled right now. It's just not good enough. So a mm. lower reduction of virgin new plastic created versus getting that plastic out of landfill, does it really need to go there? And as consumers, can we clean it better before we put it in the separation bins? which then will reduce that going to landfill, which again, people don't talk about so much, but that is a really good way to stimulate and the chances of it not going to landfill or the oceans and things like that. So yeah, I believe that even in this devastation of ocean plastic, we have the technology, we have the passionate people around the world to reverse it and reduce it and uh, live a more conscious life as the new generations grow up. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm hopeful too. I think that we can definitely do something about it to make it to where we live more sustainable. We're getting that plastic out of the ocean because it's just, it's so harmful for our world health. It impacts everyone here on the planet. It impacts humans. It also impacts so much of animals in the oceans and just our whole way of life. It's not good to have that plastic in there. So we definitely need to work on ways to get it out and not be putting any more in. So I, I completely agree with that. And what are your goals for Honest Ocean in the next six months? The next six months would be to, we are very slowly getting to work with some of the biggest plastic producers globally. And for us, this really has to be at scale in order for it to work. Yeah, being able to work with these big plastic manufacturers, global leaders, and show them the other side of the coin, bringing them to the environment of our operation, and really for them to understand the impact at scale of how we can redirect this plastic waste. So the next six months, that's a big one for us, as well as always increasing the traceability side of, of it and the more data we can get and make publicly available is a really important 
part of the story in the next six months for us. But again, just scaling more communities, more employment here in Indonesia, and probably not six months, but the next two years, we hope to look at Africa and the rest of Southeast Asia that is also devastated by the overflow of waste into coastal areas. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And what are you currently learning right now? Yeah, that is a good one. Every day is a school day. There's always something that we're learning or we're having to adapt and being a startup. That's a great thing being able to pivot on. But we're learning that in order to make a change, you really have to aim for the top. You really have to understand where this plastic's coming from. Why has it got to the ocean or this area? So at the moment, we're learning to work with big companies and big brand owners who are you know, at risk of looking negatively and show them what we can do. So we're learning about creating solutions currently and instead of hiding behind or not answering for material being there. It's learning about this is how we create the change. And it's a sort of slightly open answer there for you, but it's how we move and change through big companies to be able to be able to show them and for them to learn that. That's what we're learning, how to present that, I should say, in a positive light not a problem, which is what we see on the news and on documentaries. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I think that's a really important piece to see things from the positive side as well, because we get so inundated with all the negative information and it makes us just stand still. It makes us not take action. It just makes us depressed. And that's not the way we need that balance of realizing, okay, things are bad, but we also need that side of things. Okay. And this is what we can do about it. This is what we're doing to fix the problem. And these are the solutions, the things that you can support and be around. So big motivation for me creating this podcast was really to show that for people, to let people know that yes, things are not the best. Things are bad out there and we do have these issues, but there are some really great people who are doing some really awesome work like Tom here with Honest Ocean and we need to get behind them and support them and let them know that yes, they're doing great work and yes, climate issue and the plastic pollution problem and all these issues that we have, the social issues and all sorts of other things, they are issues but we can address them and we have people that are doing great work to address them. We just need to support them. So I think that's really great. Yeah. And what is one tip that you would give another person who's looking to either start their green business or has a green startup of their own looking to grow? What is one tip that you would give them? Oh, yes. Good one. Find the unique selling point, the USP around the green space. Are you solving a problem? I'll give you an example, especially in the US with hemp farming and how that's reversing carbon and taking in carbon instead of giving it out. And so it's how can this impact either the customers you're selling to, or if you are the end user, how can I create an efficient business through doing this? Does it make sense financially? And does it work and solve either world problems or problems in your space? It might even be a small little part, which let's say is a part of a car, right? But that could control and read data based on the fumes of the exhaust or whatever that is. And then you give that to, to car companies to show the data on that. All these tiny little things, which can amount to really big results. And we need lots of people interested in the green space and that are passionate about it. Because first of all, starting a business is not an easy task and you need to have <laughs> motivation other than hopefully you get paid for it at the end. 
And Great. Billy, I know you and I are very motivated to, you know, scale your podcast and ask for it to do our thing, but it's really to find the passion. And if you don't have it, you love the green space. You don't have to have all the answers. If this interests you or you can grow to be passionate about a problem you're solving and being patient, sorry, this is more than one answer, but being patient <laughs> and fine. allowing yourself to create the foundations for that was the thing I really struggled with. I wanted to get to here and I wanted to collect all this waste and all this kind of thing, but set the foundations for your green business and your people and grow a network of people in your space, which will help you. That's such a really important part of business. You, if you want to do this on your own, guess what? It's not possible. I'm not very extroverted, so I do like to do things myself. So being able to open and learn that, that's a really important part of business. And I would encourage people to, even before you start, just go and ask people what they're doing, what's the problem. LinkedIn's a great tool for that and all that kind of thing. I think before you even start, and if you're worried about the risk factor of your green business, just speak to people, speak to people in companies and ask them what's wrong. How, can I help? Can I do something? Can I create something for you to make your life easier? That's what I would suggest. Yeah, definitely. Follow your passion and realize that it's a team sport. Definitely. And how can someone support you or support this fight against the, the plastic pollution? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So we have a, a third party company also based here in Indonesia, in Bali, who are fantastic. They're called Handprint. And what they do is they are allowed to help us with donations. So if it's one person who really wants to give something or even as a gifting for someone's birthday, which we were really encouraged, then we would then use that on the website to go through them. And it shows the impact. And for instance, we're raising donations at the moment to clean up the mangroves here, which are the last line of defense before the ocean takes it. And it's a very hard thing to clean up. So yeah, I'd love to supply the link for that. But small even a five ten dollar donation oh, yeah okay great it would be a fantastic way 100 people doing that we are now employing 25 fishermen for six months so yeah that's really a way we, we would love to have we call it the on, honest network the, the community around us trying to help this and being able to have people on hand as well and for businesses our website honest-ocean.com and also directly myself on linkedin or instagram yeah and Brand partnerships is a big help. Definitely. That's great. Yeah. And I'll include all those links in the show notes below so that everybody can find out how to go on to handprint and donate and also get in touch with you on LinkedIn or check out your website. So I'll have all of that below. So yeah, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really awesome having you on learning all about plastic recycling and the plastic pollution problem and also what's going on in Indonesia and how this can really create such a great social change and the change we need. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Not at all, Billy. It was an absolute pleasure. Really nice to talk. And hopefully this creates some value for, for people listening. And I'm super excited to see your platform grow. And it'll be nice to chat to you in a year or two's time to see what's changed. But uh, yeah, thank you, Billy. I really enjoyed it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely have you back on my show. <laughs> thank you. And if you enjoyed learning all about Honest Ocean and how they are collecting ocean plastic, recycling it, and providing jobs for Indonesians, then I invite you to check out this interview with Joago, which creates luxury watches completely out of ocean waste, every single piece. But watches are just the beginning for them. 
They have a new product coming out that is made completely out of recycled materials. And for all you ocean lovers out there, you're definitely going to want to check it out. So see what Drago is all about and see how even more companies are cleaning up our oceans. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.